0: While you turn to Matthew chapter 6, I want to say a couple of things to you. First of all, I want to say to you, and I'm not trying to um, dramatize anything at all, but what I'm going to be teaching us this morning uh, is has profoundly transformed and affected my own personal Prayer life. I've never had anything that has impacted it as much as what I'm going to be sharing this morning. And by the way, the way I'm sharing it this morning and what I'm sharing, uh, it's the first time. I've never publicly presented what I've been seeing coming to fruition for several years. And uh, so I am introducing to you in this morning session a brand new concept. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, really believe it was to, will be to you like it was to me when I discovered it a few years back. It was a really transforming, brand new concept. Now, because of all this being true, I've been praying for the last several weeks for an anointing on me as I speak and an anointing on you as you hear. Pentecost, you know, had the double miracle, the anointing on Peter when he preached and the anointing on people as they heard in their own language. And so I'm going to pray for that double anointing, uh, particularly today. Now, next Sunday, the following Sunday, it'll be a little bit more familiar, but this will be a brand new uh, concept. So uh, I want Steve, if you will, before we begin... Uh, on your uh, passage, on your notes, it says 6 to 13, only he's going to be reading verses 5 to 8, because I'm not going to be getting into the Lord's Prayer this morning, okay? Steve, read that for us, if you will. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Uh, in that normal setting that we usually are, if I introduced the subject that I'd be teaching on, the subject of prayer, the tendency would be for most people to think, oh no, we're going to again face the guilt and the ought and the should and the shame uh, of not praying. Uh, And we're going to be challenged to pray And what I'm going to be doing is so entirely different than that, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Now, no one doubts the importance of prayer. John Wesley said, God does everything but prayer and nothing without prayer. And I really believe that's true. But I think it takes a broad definition for that to be found. God does everything but prayer and nothing without prayer. But I know that prayer is important in my own life not because of how many answers to prayer I've had or how many uh, miracles I've seen transpire because of prayer. I really know how important prayer is because of how difficult it is for me to do it at all. Um, I have never been very good at praying with my old definition of prayer. uh, I never will forget several years ago, and by the way, I the Christian life I love even the part about praying but it's easier for me to go to church to listen to sermons even to share the gospel than it is to pray like I used to think of praying several years ago about 40, 50 years ago I decided I was going to become camel knees now uh, you heard the story of the missionary who prayed so much that his knees were calloused and they called him camel knees because of it that was an inspiration to me. I wanted to be one who had camel knees. And so I'll never forget, on the day that I was going to start doing this, I, sat, I, I knelt down in my church office yeah, beside a sofa there, and I began to pray. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed. I named everybody that I could think of to pray for. I prayed for all my family. I knew a few lost people in town I'm witnessing too. I prayed for them. I prayed for our entire church. I prayed, I prayed, and I looked up at the clock, and 10 minutes had gone by, 10 minutes. (laughs) So I was not to be denied. I got back down on my knees, and I began to pray again. And I prayed, and I prayed for family, church, And few lost people. And then I remembered the verse Steve read a moment ago: "For they think they will be heard for their vain repetitions." And I began to realize that a lot of what I was doing was simply using empty phrases over and over and over again. Now I didn't stop praying. I looked for a program to help me, and in 1980 that program came out. Uh, Peter Lord, a dear friend of Mary and mine uh, in Florida, Titusville, Florida, uh, developed a plan called 2959. Now, the idea of the plan is to spend the first 30 minutes of every morning in prayer, but you don't catch there by saying spend 30 minutes in prayer, so he decided to use the title 29 minutes and 29 seconds in prayer or 59 Seconds in Prayer, 2959. Well, that was a catchy tune. By the way, it sold over 750,000 copies since it came out in its, per, in its first uh, publishing uh, manner. So we started the 2959 plan. Boy, it was good. It was a wonderful tool. We led our church to using it. We've got people from South Cliff who still talk about the time when we established our prayer ministry and used the 2959 plan and so on. So those were wonderful days, and we learned to pray. It still wasn't satisfying to me. It still hadn't captured me. And then when I got older and moved into other methods of doing things, I began to find myself less on my knees. So I have to confess to you that it'll never be uh, known of me that I should be called Camel Knees. I just don't have the calluses of being on my knees. Well, a few years back, I decided that I was going to find out what the Scripture said about prayer. Now, that's a novel idea. (laughs) Just to stop and see what the Bible says about prayer. And do you know what I found out? There are only four words in the New Testament in the original Greek language that are, in, that are translate, uh, translated into the word prayer. Three of them have nothing to do with asking for anything. Three of them are referring to an attitude. And only one is referring to requesting. So out of the four words, three are attitudinal, and one has to do with the action of making requests. So I began to see, wait a minute, the New Testament has an emphasis on this idea of prayer that's a little bit weightier than just asking for requests. And so I began to look at this. Now here's the deal, and I want to share with you this morning as we open. The word most used in the New Testament for the word prayer, out of those four words, the most used word is the word prosuske. Now, the Greek spells it P R O S E U C A G. The way you say it is P R O S, pros, U Y O O, p-r-o-s-pros-u-y-o-o-skay. S K A Y. That's the uh, that's uh, what they call when you say the word the way it sounds. Uh, That's the way it sounds. prosyuske is the word. And it is not asking requests at all. It's a word which means, now get this, found 37 times and means to live face to face with God, that is in the presence of God, not necessarily with words, but maintaining an attitude of consecration of your life to God. In other words, prosuske, prayer in the New Testament, is an attitude of living moment by moment, day by day, in the real presence of God because we have a real relationship. The prefix of that word is pros. P-R-O-S in the Greek language. And that's the word used in John one one when it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That word with is the word pros. So pros use means we are with God in his presence. Now, ladies and gentlemen, do you understand how uh, life changing that was for the early Jewish Christian? They'd only been in the presence of God one day a year on the Day of Atonement. One place, the temple in Jerusalem, you see, through one man, the high priest, who was the only one who could go in, then he had to come back out and tell everybody what God had said, and now Paul is teaching and Peter's teaching and all the apostles are teaching that prayer in the new covenant is being, living in the presence of the reality of God in a relationship that is incredible. Moses is a wonderful example of that. The scripture says he lived face to face with God. Now, always remember that the phrase face to face is idiomatic. In other words, that's not what's stated in the scripture as uh, a meaning face to face first of all God doesn't have face as we know it and then the scripture says no man's looked upon the face of God and lived but the point is this that is a word which is uh, like our uh, idioms or figures of speech have you ever heard of somebody say the cat got your tongue <laughs> now when I say to Steve Steve's the cat got your tongue you know what I'm saying why have you quit talking now, but you interpret the words, has the cat got your tongue, oh, it has a different meaning than, have you quit speaking? Or how about the one where we say, uh, I have a secret, Mary and I have the secret, and i talk talked to somebody in my family, and I accidentally or whatever let that secret out, and she says to me, huh, you spilled the beans what in the world is she talking about? Well, she's not meaning it literally, spill the beans! It's an idiomatic statement for letting out a secret or saying something that has been hidden. You see what I'm saying? When the scripture says Moses lived face to face with God, it's not talking literally face to face. It's talking about the idea of him being intimately in his presence enjoying the reality of God in an intimate fashion. Now, what the scripture teaches that is that in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we are privileged to live in that kind of face-to-face reality. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not saying you live face-to-face with him if you do good or if you pray a lot. I'm saying you live face-to-face with God whether you realize it or not because in the new covenant the veil has been torn the Shekinah glory now fills the entire temple and we're the temple the glory of God is in us and we are dwelling in an intimate relationship with him uh, every day that's why the scripture now makes sense when you read pray without ceasing it doesn't mean ask for things without ceasing when it says, I thank God always for you, doesn't mean that he's asking things for them. It means that he's continually thanking. He's continually enjoying the reality of the presence of God. Listen to this verse in Ephesians. With all prayer and petition. There's that word, that fourth word, petition. But there's a word there, prayer. With prayer, that's the one I'm talking about. Experiencing the relationship you have with god where you live with him intimately in his presence now ladies and gentlemen we have emphasized the activity of praying so much that i'm fearful that we've lost the ability to understand the meaning of prayer by and large in the new testament what it says for they broke bread together with house to house in fellowship and prayer. It's not saying they stopped periodically to pray. It's saying they were enjoying the reality of the presence of God. So what Paul meant, for instance in Romans 12:12. listen to this now. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It's not the word for asking. It's the word prosvusque, living in his presence, face to face, enjoying the relationship you have with him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if we take that definition of prayer, which Paul emphasized, do you understand that our very existence is a prayerful thing? it's an intimate thing. And it isn't when you feel intimate with God, because it doesn't depend on our feelings. It depends on the reality of what happened to us when we came to Christ. The Holy Spirit came, gave a new birth to our spirit, and we live in the presence of God. That's a absolutely phenomenal that's the new covenant that we're in right now now one day he's returning to this earth with a new creation of new heaven and a new earth and we will eternally be in his presence in a glorified body but right now the kingdom of god is in us dwells in us in the person of the holy spirit and we're never away from his presence Will you hear me? I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I'm talking about that kind of relationship with God that can only be seen that way. So I'm going to use three points to make this clear. I've introduced the concept to you that prayer is, first of all, primarily attitudinal. It is not what you do. It is what you are because of what God has done in a face-to-face relationship with him, enjoying or able to enjoy the intimacy of that relationship every moment of your life. That's prayer. Now, there are three things I wanna say that'll help us to understand this clearly. The first thing is the definition I wanna give you for attitudinal prayer. That's my word for it, that's coin. I've never read that phrase. I'm not saying it's the best phrase on earth, but I am saying I gave birth to it, it's mine. I've never read it. Attitudinal prayer. What is the definition of attitudinal prayer? It is, prayer, the attitudinal prayer, is an atmosphere or attitude of our spirit, being in tune with God, who is spirit, because of the relationship we have with him. That's what attitudinal prayer is. It is an atmosphere or an attitude of uh, our spirit being in tune with his spirit because God is spirit in the relationship we have. Now, the question is, what kind of relationship do we have with it? Three things the New Testament uses talk about our relationship. First of all, it uses the idea of marriage. Romans 7, like a marriage. Did you know that the New Testament says we can think of our relationship with God like a marriage? Now marriage is the process involving two people choosing to establish a relationship that they intend to be permanent, public, and official before God and the law. It is not to be set aside or cut short by separation or divorce. You choose to live your life when you become a Christian face to face in a lifelong covenant with God. That's what you chose when you became a Christian. You got married. And it is an inviolable, lifelong covenant relationship. Now, the marriage relationship resembles it a little, except it can fall apart and so on. But he says, our covenant is eternal. We have that marriage relationship. That's the lifelong face-to-face covenant we have with God. It's like a marriage. But it's also a covenant like a servant. A servant somebody who serves people because of a commitment to the master. So what we've done is we've committed ourselves to our master, the Lord Jesus, so we not only serve him, we serve you others, you, me, and I, you, because we're his servants. Does that make sense? We do it as unto the Lord. And so my relationship with God is I'm called a servant. My relationship with God is I'm in a marriage. That has nothing to do with the physical. F- physical side of marriage. Obviously it's a spiritual covenant. But then the third thing the New Testament teaches is that we are friends. Now a friend is a person that you know and have a bond with, with a mutual affection that generally excludes family or sexual activity. Friends are friends. They're not your marriage partner you got see so the scripture's teaching that we are to god in the new covenant like we're married to him like we're a servant to him and like we're a friend to Him. and prayer is the atmosphere of all of that as we learn what it is to be the christian that we have become so that's the definition that i give for prayer Now, the second thing is the description of attitudinal prayer. How do you describe the atmosphere of prayer that in the relationship I've been talking about? Several years ago, I don't know whether you all know where uh, Red Lodge, Montana is, but Mary and I rode our motorcycle from our driveway to Red Lodge, Montana, and in the course of the trip, we went to the top of uh, tooth Pass, which is an insane thing to do. It was June, very warm at the base, and it was icy sleeting when we got to the top of Red Tooth. To, uh, you know, and when we were coming down, Mary was riding behind me, and of course, we had music on rather loud, and we enjoyed it and all. But she was keeping beat by beating me on the back, only she wasn't keeping beat to the music, she was saying, slow down, slow down, slow down. And I was going slow, I'd look around and say, babe, i go any slower, we'd be going backwards. That's a dangerous thing. Uh, It it was fun. In fact, we did it again in a Jeep. We didn't do it again in a motorcycle, we did it in a Jeep. But that's Beartooth Pass in Montana. We went as a married couple. You know how we acted on that trip? We acted married. We did. We acted merry. We laughed. We talked. We held hands. We joked. Uh, We even kissed once in a while. Now, I'm advocating for all of us and understanding that if we're married to Jesus in this new covenant, how does that relationship act? Well, we laugh. We talk. We feel with him. We experience him. Everything except the physical. But that's the kind of relationship we have with him. Now listen to this. Brennan Manning says this. Abba father is a colloquial term that's used by little Jewish children toward their father and is best translated papa or daddy. Did you know that that little phrase, Abba, Father, that we're supposed to call our Heavenly Father to whom we're related through Jesus Christ, our marriage to Him. We're related to the Father so intimately we can call Him Papa or Daddy. Did you know there's not another world religion that would even think of talking about their God in the intimate terms that Jesus said we're free to speak to the Father in. You see what I'm saying? No one knows the Father except Jesus and those to whom the Son reveals him. Matthew 11:27. And to every believer, he has chosen to reveal to us the Heavenly Father is Daddy, Papa. Mary and I are really close friends with, and I mean that sincerely. Paul Young, who is the author of the book The Shack, I've never been around Paul Young, when he doesn't talk. When he talks about God, he never says God. That I've heard, he always says Papa, Papa. I've never heard anybody like that. Papa, Papa wanted me to go here. Papa wanted me to go there. Papa said to me as I read the scripture, so on, Papa. And when I first heard, I didn't quite understand all of that. It's part of what plunged me into this study of looking at it differently. But you think about this now. If what I'm saying is true, that we live in this intimate relationship and it's a perennial thing, not when we gather to church, not when we're taught on Sunday school, in Sunday school, but it's a perennial thing. Night and day, 24 hours a day, every second of every moment, if that's real, we are free by the Spirit to call him Papa. Think of this sitting in a restaurant when you're eating your meal, as we did last night celebrating the birthday of... Uh, the husband of her sister, our brother-in-law. He turned 65 today. We bought his meal last night. And as we were there, the four of us, first thing we did was raise our glasses and said, thank you, Father. Now, I don't want to just imitate Paul Young and call him Papa, but that's what I'm saying when I, see, I've never had a father that I felt I could call a father. I called him Dad. And I didn't want him as a father because of alcoholism and anger and and all that kind of, I've come to grips with that. You've heard me tell a little bit of the story. The point is, when we're sitting in a restaurant, you're as much in the presence of God in that moment as you are sitting in Sunday school listening to Paul Burleson teach a passage of scripture. And the intimacy of the Father ought to be as real in that moment as any moment you ever have in life. I don't mean ought to be; it can be. It is to be. You you, you hear me? Of course, we don't always experience that. We'll talk about that later. But the point is, that potential—that's what prayer is. It's living in His presence. Uh, for instance. Uh, and listening to the pastor preach this morning for me to sit there and he's preaching the word of God and oh man something he says really grips me and I, in my heart of hearts I say Lord this thing is what this is, good, this is what I need who am I talking to I'm talking to my Lord I'm talking to my elder brother I'm talking to my Papa do you understand that's prayer when the scripture says that my house should be called a house of prayer, it's not talking about a house of saying things. It's talking about a house of experiencing his real presence. Now, that was a verse spoken about the temple. My house should be called a house of prayer. We are the temple of the spirit now. And we are his house of prayer. Our life lives in in his presence and communion and prayer. I love this guy for a ton of reasons. but One of the reasons is because on a Sunday morning, I miss it. This is why I'll be glad this COVID deal is over. Uh, he walks in the back door and he says, when he gets up here, uh, I walked in and I, I just knew the Lord was here. I love that. Of course the Lord's here. Steve's the one who sees it, knows it, senses it. And by the way, when he walks out, the Lord's still there when he sits in the balcony pretty far away from the pulpit by the way yeah. you know I mean? anyway, uh, when he sits in the balcony and listens the Lord's there too you said this guy <laughs> is to me an example of what I'm talking about I'm not saying that to butter him up if I thought it would butter him up I wouldn't even say it and it's the truth now listen carefully to me the definition for me now of a prayer warrior is what I've just described Not somebody who spends 20 minutes the first thing in the morning on their knees. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a whole lot more to prayer than this. just the activity of kneeling and folding your hands, bowing your head, closing your eyes, and talking to God. Ladies and gentlemen, talk to him now. I'm not Pentecostal. But I love the way some of the Pentecostal. When we'd go to my uncle, uh, my mother's brother, and he was a Pentecostal preacher, and we'd ask the blessing. Uh, I was I was Baptist back in those days. Still am, of course, in my heart of hearts. But uh, you understand what I mean. And boy, they we'd have eight or ten people, and he'd say, "All right, the blessing." Everybody started praying. I loved it. I just know nothing wrong with one person saying it forever. But but something about the whole group, just recognizing the presence of God at a mealtime. It was just wonderful to me. I didn't understand that. I understand it now. Mary and I sit in a restaurant. We take our tea or water whatever, we're drinking and we click the glass and thank you Lord great time together. I told you about that lady that I pastored at the time in Norman who came up behind and said, oh, Brother Paul and Mary, so good to see you, but you all forgot to ask the blessing. <laughs> I said, what? She said, well, oh, I watched you. You didn't pray. I said, yes, we did. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, did you see it? click of that? Yes, I saw that. Did, do you know that we were thanking the Lord in that moment for Oh, but you didn't bow your head and close your eyes. Are you following me here? If we get something so tied to an action that we forget that it is attitudinal first of all, we've lost the biblical meaning of prayer. We still have the old covenant concept of going to the temple and the priest praying That's not where it is anymore. We're his temple, we're his people, we're his priest. He alone is the high priest. We dwell in the presence of God. The veil is torn, the blood has been sprinkled, hallelujah. We are in a relationship with God. Now, I come then to the second uh, or the third and the final uh, point that helps us out and that's this. The discipline of attitudinal prayer. Somebody's going to say, well, Brother Paul, do we ever have a quiet time? Do you ever get on your knees for 20 minutes in the morning? Well, of course we do. In fact, Jesus did. Jesus got up early in the morning and went into the garden to pray. But ladies and gentlemen, will you understand something That was always secondary with the Lord Jesus because he lived every moment of every day in the presence of his heavenly father, enjoying his relationship with him. And then there were those times he chose to go apart privately. There's a verse in that passage we didn't get to read, but it said, uh, for the Pharisees love to be seen for their prayers. They love their praying to be seen. And that word seen is a Greek word that translates theater. They love to be on stage when they pray. praying. you understand real prayer in the new covenant is never a thing that's done theatrically or on the stage? I don't mean standing on the stage. I'm, not, I'm talking about wanting yourself to be seen as praying. That's not new covenant praying. And so when people clasp hands and don't bow their head and keep their eyes open and they talk together of thanksgiving, that's as much prayer at a family meeting as anything. And uh, I want us to see this shift from just the action to the attitude of prayer. So do we ever have a quiet time? Of course we do, and we'll talk more about that before we finish in the next two weeks. Do we ever have a prayer list? Oh yeah, sure we have a prayer list. T.W. Hunt, one of the finest guys at Southwestern Seminary I've ever known. He and his wife, I was their pastor, I was with them during cancer surgery, her cancer surgery, they're both with the Lord now. I just loved them dearly. I was in uh, Houston when T.W. had retired, and uh, he was down there living close to his daughter. His wife was now with the Lord. And so I just decided to call him. I called him, this had just been, he died about four or five years ago, and this was two or three years before he died. Uh, But I hadn't seen him in 20 years. And I called him and he said, Brother Paul, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing wonderful. T.W., how are you doing? He said, well, how's Mary? And I told him. And uh, he just, you know, who gnawed with me. Then he said, how's Sherry? I told him, that's her oldest daughter. And then uh, he said, how's Wade? And I told him, and then he said, how's Melody? And I told him, and then he said, how's Brett, our caboose? <laughs> and I told him, and I said, T.M., how in the world do you remember the, four na- the names of my four children and you haven't even seen us for 20, 25 years? This was his response, oh, Brother Paul, when you were my pastor, uh, my sweetheart and I decided we were gonna pray for you all every Sunday morning by name and we've done it since and I'll do it till I die. I have to tell you, I was in tears when that conversation was over. So do you have a prayer list? Of course you do, but always understand that prayer lists, times alone, in the closet, on your knees, are precious and good, but they're secondary to proskouske, which is living in the presence of God in an attitude of I'm in a marriage union with him. I want to share everything. I'm in a servant role. I want to do anything. I'm in a friend role. I want to experience everything with him. Ladies and gentlemen, when we live that way, with that consciousness, now somebody's going to say, well, do we ever lose that sense of it? Of course we do. Sin can come in. We'll talk about that later. Things can happen, but it doesn't mean that that stops or is no longer real. It just means you're not experiencing it. Do you lose the ability to have this face-to-face with a partner when something goes wrong? I don't go wrong, but Mary goes wrong once in a while. And we'll lose that face-to-face thing, right? Now we don't lose it. I just am not enjoying it. It's still there. We're still married. Same way with our relationship with the Lord. Sin will cause us to lose the ability to enjoy and experience as a friend and as a partner and so on. But and as a servant, we don't do. We don't serve Him. We don't because we lose a sense of that relationship. Now, what I've tried to do this morning is help us conceptually. I haven't given any steps to take or things to do or anything like that. I've introduced a concept. And I'm calling it in this one the practice of prayer. Now, Next week, we're going to deal with a second issue, and it's gonna be a little more normal in terms of what we're sharing. And then in the last one, we're gonna deal with the final thing about consistency in prayer. Should we keep on asking? Sometimes when we think it's maybe nonsensical to keep on asking, like the kept knocking at the door, and so on, what does that mean? We'll talk about that in our final time. What I'm hoping, when these three weeks are up, and, my, and, and we turn to our real teacher here in a little bit. When these three weeks are up, I want us to have in our minds and in our hearts a concept of prayer. I'm not saying we'll be doing it, I'm not saying we'll know it all. I've been at this thing for two decades now and this is the first time I've put it together like this because not many people will grasp it. I had to have a little bit of confidence that you all were, were would allow me the privilege of saying something that might sound a little different, might sound a little new, and by the way, it is now 915 and I'm done with this statement. Don't take what I say, take it to the scriptures and see what those scriptures say. Let it be a, a leap, or you into a study of looking But just remember 37 times that one word and has nothing to do with asking it has everything to do with experiencing your marriage your friendship your servitude with the eternal God that you have you've had since the moment of yourself Amen. Amen. Anybody here got any questions? If you do, come ask Steve because I'm worn out. I've told you everything I know. (laughs) All right. Thank you all for being on this and we hope you'll return next week.